This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hi, it's Vanessa from the Fighting Stigma Show on Free FM. Are you a Waikato local? Do you have an idea for a radio show? Do you want to try your hand at being a content creator on Free FM? If so, check out our website on freefm.org.nz or find Free FM on Facebook and get in touch. Hakuna Matata. What a wonderful phrase. Hakuna Matata. Ain't no passing craze. It ain't no worries for the rest of your days. It's our problem free. Philosophy. Hakuna Matata. Hakuna Matata? Yeah, it's our motto. What's a motto? What's the motto with you? (laughs) (laughs) Those two words will solve all your problems. That's right. Take Pumba here. Why? When he was a young warthog. When I was a young warthog. Very nice. Thanks. He found his aroma lacked a certain appeal. He could clean a savanna after every meal. I'm a sensitive soul, though I seem thick-skinned. And it hurt that my friends never stood downwind. <laughs> and no the shame! No the shame! Thought of changing my name! Not in front of the kids. Oh, sorry. Hakuna Matata. What a wonderful phrase. Hakuna Matata. Ain't no passing craze. It means no worries for the rest of your day. It's our problem free. Philosophy. Hakuna Mel Martin Tokawingua, you're backstage with Mel and Mike, kindly brought to you by Free FM and Creative Waikato. And Musical of the Week is the one and only 
The Lion King. Yeah. If you're tuning in for the first time, we are two of the theatre nerds in Hamilton, New Zealand. There are quite a bunch of us. <laughs> but we talk a whole lot about theatre, and if you want to catch up on everything that you've missed so far, and there's now quite a back catalogue, I must say, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, type Backstage with Mel and Mike into the search bar of your favourite podcast streaming app, and there we will be. With all okay. of our episodes. Yeah. Mike picked The Lion King this week, and so, since you brought it up, what are your thoughts on the concerns that, on the controversy there was a bit earlier this year around the tour not employing New Zealand artists and techs, and instead bringing over, over 100 personnel into the country, all of whom were granted quarantine space when they arrived, at a time when quarantine spots were super limited, and you had to book well in advance? Starting the way you meant to carry on, eh? Big questions first. Very big questions, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought about that when I made the choice of the Lion King and I thought well you know it is on stage now in Auckland yep. the tour is on it's one of the very first tours happening post-COVID anywhere in the world and for that reason I'm delighted to see that happen yep. but I couldn't avoid the feeling that I wish to hell there was a whole lot more uh, New Zealand involvement New Zealand artists I know they have Nick Afua as Simba and he's done that he's a New Zealander done that role in Australia before which mm-hmm. is why he's uh, picked for it this time as well he could easily have lost that out to another Australian actor though yep. and apart from that there's very very few Kiwis involved and I'm disappointed for a lot of reasons I want to see our industry people getting recognised for the skills that they have. Mm. And even if there's not that many actually on the stage, there's a whole ton of people that could do all the work behind the scenes. The tech, yeah. Yep, all the tech work and everything else that goes with it. I know there will be some, but uh, why bring in you know a cast plus all these other people when that's not totally necessary? Yeah, you know, I feel fairly similarly. I'm, I'm very on the fence about it. Once again, I'm on the fence about a lot. Um, admittedly, I am seeing it tomorrow, but... Because my partner Kate was dying to see it. Uh, And I love theatre, obviously, so I want to see as much high quality production value as possible. And The Lion King will be exactly that. Of course it will, yeah. But I also work in workers' rights. So if I combine my passion for theatre and my passion for employment justice, I just see a whole industry of of workers here in New Zealand that. aren't benefiting from that. Yeah, we've got some really expert people working in, the, in those tech fields. Yeah. More and more every year, actually, adding to the you know the list of people who are, who are capable and can do, and bring a lot of creativity to that work as well. Yeah, I think a bit more thought and effort could have gone into that, but I obviously am not close to the information that uh, it would be necessary to make those decisions. So yeah. I may be speaking out of turn. Uh, there, there may well have been some recruitment gone on that I don't know about, but it's not obvious if that's yeah. the case. Um, it could have been a bit more obvious. They could have done an awful lot of pre-planning and, and, and search for people in this country beforehand. Having said that, they obviously are bringing top-line people into the country. Yeah. Those who do have the chance to work with those people will learn stuff. That's right. So it adds to our overall knowledge. I just don't think it's a good look necessarily. Uh, it's hard. It's a hard one to call, eh? It is, isn't it? Uh, the, the other side of it, of course, is you know using up quarantine beds when there were Kiwis gagging to come home who couldn't. Yeah, I think that's the big one for yeah. me. That sort of smacks of a lot of injustice too. But once all that had died down, it really just, I think there was an awful lot of people dead keen to see the show start because we want a sense of normality. Well, and yeah, and I saw. I've got. A, I've in fact quite a few friends have you know posted there. That we're at the Lion King pictures, and this, the stadium is full every time people go to see it. So it says something for what people want. Well, as we will find out later, you know, there's a whole a, a very long history of, of huge 
interest and a huge fandom for the show mm. for the movie initially and all that which goes back way further than I thought actually it's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. much older than well, I I've thought. got a fun fact I'll share with you later about okay. The Lion King uh, my first experience with The Lion King but the number of people who have seen it worldwide on stage is now astronomical millions and, and the, the figures I went through before uh, getting to, into the stage where we're sitting in the studio now um, I, as I was writing it out I thought this can't be true surely but uh, double check yeah cool. it's all true yeah. that's cool really I'm excited to hear stuff. all about it Anywho, how did your final performances of duets go? I didn't oh. get to make it, but I heard it was charming in all of the right ways. Oh, that's a nice way to put it. Is it? Yeah. Okay, um, good. I, I, I walked away from it feeling actually really quite proud. Good. Um, it was, overall, it was a great experience. Um, I enjoyed the direction, as I always do. Uh, it had its moments when I walked away from rehearsals going, oh my gosh, are we ever going to get this? But it came together really well, and I think it was um, a great choice of play for Gaslight Theatre because it allowed us a sense of intimacy with the audience being so close, mm-hmm. and told some stories that I think resonated Every single one of the four stories we had resonated in some way with people in the audience every single night. Yeah, cool. And that that's as good as it gets, I think. It is, that yeah. people are watching something and go, oh, my gosh, that happened to me, or my brother did that, or, um, uh, yeah, or my mum and or like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and that was the kind of reaction I was hoping for, so I was pleased with that. Um, good. And in the end, once I took off my director's hat and just concentrated on performing... I enjoyed the acting. Yeah. Lovely to work with some great people in the cast, John O'Freeburn, Julia Watkins, and uh, Joanna Bishop. Mm. Uh, the four of us together, I think, made a good combination. We yeah. got a really good uh, review from uh, Dr. Richard Swanson, yeah. who was uh, way more encouraging than he really needed to be for us, but um, I'll take that with every, every bit of good intention that he had with it, too. That's awesome. It was, it was really supportive, and I think, um, yeah, just uh, it made me feel like I want to do that sort of stuff more often. Cool. That's so good to hear. So, yeah, the hard uh, part is now looking for scripts that have a similar sort of feel, or, or, or just yeah. more scripts that are a bit unusual, and getting the break that you need from having just done one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next up for both of us is Assassins with Bold Theatre. Uh, Mike will be on stage. I'll be backstage, and you can be in the audience if you jump onto the Meteor website and book tickets right now. Yeah, do it. Let your prayer 
You're backstage with Madam Mike and that song was Shadowland from Musical of the Week, The Lion King, and we'll be talking about the art of reviewing, since I mentioned it before, and how relevant reviews are even nowadays in the modern age of theatre. But first of all, get those calendars out, get out your device, and uh, check a few things off because it's time to take note of what's going on around the place soonish. At the Meteor, Paradise or the Impermanence of Ice Cream is presented by Indian Inc. That's opening tonight and on until the 11th of July. And very soon is Beards, Beards, Beards. And that's written by Trick of the Light, this time around directed by John O'Freeben for the July school holidays. That's from the 19th of July to the 23rd. Clarence Street Theatre, Chicago, presented by Hamilton Operatic Society, runs through to July the 10th. Uh, catch it while you can because it's a great, fantastic show. Very spectacular, as you would expect. Let It Go, The Songs of Frozen in Concert is presented by Showcase Entertainment on July the 12th. Over at Riverley Theatre, Hamilton Musical Theatre are in rehearsal for Mamma Mia that goes to stage in October. Navarra Lounge, they have their open mic night tonight and every Wednesday and Freestyle Friday, this Friday of course the 9th, Stonehurst Suffering Man Tour is on July the 10th. Over in Tiaroha at the Little Theatre, they're in rehearsal for Death and Taxes by April Phillips, that's going to stage in September. Tim's Music and Drama have Peter Pan and the Medallion Secret by Alan Cumming, it's on now till July the 10th. Over in Rotorua at their musical theatre, Spamalot is being directed by Alistair Hay. That hits the stage in August. Tauranga Musical Theatre are in rehearsals for Les Mis. That's on stage in September. 16th Avenue Theatre have Neighbourhood Watch by Alan Aikborn, directed by Dennis Smith. That's running from the 9th till the 24th. And Detour Theatre are in rehearsal at the moment for Sherlock Holmes' The Adventure of This Bickled Band. That's going to be on in September. The Oni Federal Society of Performing Arts, otherwise known as OSPA, they're in rehearsal for the Jailhouse Frocks by Devin Williamson. That comes up in September. At Auckland Theatre Company, uh, Michael Hurst starring in The Life of Galileo by Bertolt Brecht, translated by David Hare. That's uh, running till the 10th. In upcoming auditions and opportunities, just one this week, auditions for Riverley Theatre's Christmas show Back to the 80s are being held this weekend, July 10 and 11. You can email riverleychristmasshow at gmail.com to get your audition time. And it's always a hoop being involved in those things too. It is. As always, please get in touch with us if you would like to add something to that list. Email backstagepodcastnz at gmail.com or send us a message on Facebook or Instagram or Telegram. I mentioned the art of reviewing and I like you mentioned I'm asking the big questions what are your thoughts on reviews and reviewers well having been a reviewer in the past I've actually formed quite an opinion about the reviewers value in this country mm. uh, as opposed to what it might mean elsewhere and before we started uh, today's show I was mentioning to Mel that um, I have memories as a kid of watching old black and white musical movies where the cast would be, you know, going through their opening night and then they'd be up all night smoking cigarettes and drinking coffee, waiting until the first paper came out in the morning to see if they had a hit or not. And that's the American experience. That's what Broadway was all about. Yeah. You opened, if the critics liked you, you probably would get a month's worth of pay, possibly longer. Mm -hmm. If they hated you, you'd be shut by the next day. You touch on something interesting there, which is not just whether or not the show goes on, but it's whether or not the people working on the show get paid. Yeah. Because we're talking about a totally professional environment and uh, the fickle nature of critics in the US 
going through the heydays, like I guess the 30s through to the 60s anyway, mm. that was what it was like. Critics held an awful lot of power, and there yeah. were notable critics, you know, just as like film reviewers now. These were people who you desperately wanted to please. Mm. If they walked away unhappy or puzzled or disgruntled, then that was it. You were literally curtains. You never, never got another night. Mm. It's a totally different environment in this country. Yeah. Almost the complete antithesis of that, actually, mm. where because of the size of the country that we are and the fact that a lot of our theatre is uh, voluntary community theatre, people don't get paid, it is an environment where there is some expectation in some dramatic and musical societies that uh, a reviewer is coming along to help promote the show. Yeah. And you've got to go along and be relentlessly positive about everything. Yeah. And I personally can't do that. When I'm reviewing something, I've got to be honest to myself I've got to be honest about what I'm seeing, not to the point of being nasty or, or saying I hated it, but to the point of actually saying, look, come and support this thing, but there are things that puzzled me or there are things about the direction of this particular production that don't quite make the grade. Yeah. But you, you do look for things to be positive about, but you're not there to be a mouthpiece or, or just a, a, a bit of a, a you know positive crit on behalf of the organisation. I agree. Yeah, and I, that I find... And like you've already mentioned, um, reviews, on, particularly on a regional scale, problematic because theatre reviewing expands across a spectrum of genres, observing what is sometimes um, unnoticeable or more often than not unnoticeable to your general audience. Um, and so an, a reviewer is picking out those things. Most people just don't even notice. Considering that there are several interpretations for any piece of theatre, one of the, I think one of the responsibilities of the theatre reviewer is to write the facts and contextualise the attended performance. Yes. Uh, I, and I don't know if I've seen that done well, really, in no, this that's, country. There's the rub, isn't it? How, how well is it done? Um, not as well as it used to be, to be honest, mm. with, the, with the demise of daily newspapers in this country. Yeah. Papers are no longer employing people to write. Yeah. And if you've got tickets for a show and people have asked for a reviewer to come and see it, nine times out of ten it'll get passed on to somebody who's got the time and doesn't mind doing it for nothing. Mm. It may end up even as an only, you know website-only review. So it doesn't perform the same function that it used to. Well, and technology has allowed reviewers uh, to be completely amateur or completely professional yeah. and everything in between. You know, like, but, uh, anyone's I, a reviewer now. I would, I would argue that there's always been an element of that anyway, though, Mel, because mm. depending on the size of the city that you're in, you often would find, even over the last 20 years, that there were an awful lot of people doing reviews who really were pretty pathetic at it. Mm. I can't tell you the number of times I've been in shows that have been reviewed, and you, you read them and you think, well, what was the point of this? I've given a synopsis of the of the play or the music mm -hmm. or whatever, but that's pretty much where it ends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's no use to anybody. Putting on my other hat, as a performer, what I look for in a review is something that will give me uh, a considered opinion. Mm. And I mentioned Dr. Richard Swainson before reviewing duets. He gave us uh, an opinion uh, that I didn't necessarily have to agree with, but he gave a considered opinion about what he saw us do in duets. He talked about the staging of the production, the performances, the nature of the content, mm -hmm. and gave an opinion on how well we did that uh, and brought up a few things that I hadn't thought about from a director's perspective too. That gave me lots of food for thought, and I thought, what a, that's an intelligent review. That yeah. was something I could actually look at and, and get something from. Yeah, If it's just a bit of puffery or somebody who didn't get it and w never would get it because they just weren't qualified to really 
understand what was going on, then that's no use to anyone. At one, too often I find that, and we'll probably come back around to this, I think, at some at, during our discussions, but I find too often that reviews are written by people that don't do a lot of theatre. Yeah. And, you know, I really maintain that if you're going to be a critic of theatre, you should really know the craft well. But not just the craft, but also the sleepless nights and the hard work that goes into a production you know it's it's not just about the piece it's about so much more Everything than that has yeah. Gone into it. yeah yeah and we will probably enlarge on that shortly i think you, you're spot on with regard to understanding what you're going to review too though because i would never in a million years dream of trying to review a ballet performance or opera mm. it's something i don't feel qualified to do I can talk about theatre till the cows come home yeah. and I can understand what good and bad performances are and, and I can understand good and bad structure but put me out of that environment and into some other kind of performance art and I'm lost yep, same. having said all that there is a, another big question that comes out of this because you, we have to consider nowadays I think what is the place or the relevance of having reviews as such for community scale works mm. considering that the primary function of a review to its audience is to tell them about the show so that we, they can decide whether or not they want to spend in some cases a lot of money mm. for a couple of tickets to go and see it that's a good point or even when it's a show at the meteor it's only going to cost you 25 bucks to see are the reviews as important in that case and i would argue and not what, what, and what, what what should the review be trying to do in that case <laughs> it should be trying to tell, uh, well, yeah, uh, like you've sort of nailed, you've hit the nail or one of the nails on the head about knowing the readership. And it's important because some reviewers are, are writing mainly for theatre goers or people in the arts, while others are trying to cater to a mainstream audience. Right. So a deep conceptual critique with theatrical terms would be pretty useless in the latter case, right? Yeah, exactly. And then we come to the awkward part where theatre criticism is often viewed, like you've mentioned, as merely an assistant of the marketing. Because it's plausible that a, a good or a bad review by a respected uh, theatre reviewer could actually impact ticket sales. But that actually shouldn't be the functional responsibility of theatre criticism. No, and not according to much of the research I've read um, over the last couple of days either. In an ideal world, the reviewer would provide a well-balanced commentary on the performance the show history, contemporary relevance, maybe the dramaturgical, political context of the piece, as well as the design and so on, to provide information to the reader. Not so much information, again, like you've mentioned, that it's the la a large portion of the review isn't a synopsis of the show. Or uh, so much is written about the background to the whole thing that there's very little said about the actual By the production. time you get to the actual production, you can't <laughs> yeah. be bothered anymore, yeah. Professionally, the uh, main concerns of the theatre critic are to really write about how well they understand what the directors, designers, artistic directors, producers are all trying to achieve. And they might outline the relevance of a performance or a production as part of that. Ultimately, theatre critics, though, should not write the words, I like or I don't like in any statement, uh, considering that taste is very personal, totally subjective and clearly actually irrelevant. It's very rare that in my writing history of doing reviews that I ever actually use those terms. I, uh, I am guilty of having done it a few times, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. And like, like I, didn't, uh, I didn't understand or I didn't like that bit about whatever. Yeah, and reviewing is in part opinion. So you do expect a little bit mm. of, of that, but it shouldn't just be, oh, I hated it. And like, you know, really, don't get me wrong. As a regular theatre goer, there's 
nothing worse than witnessing bad theatre. Locked in the dark room, in silence, getting angrier by the second, or I do at least. Um, the thought of getting up to leave mid-show only to be noticed by the actors always shames me into staying at least until intermission. Uh, and all theatre makers have had reviews they don't share and don't use in marketing content. content. We've all been there. Amen to that. You know? Yeah, Totally. I've even done shows where um, a review has been, as far as the rest of the cast is concerned, non-existent. Oh, we didn't get one. Which is why it's almost vital that critics and reviewers also be creators, as you said, that they have that understanding, a deeper knowledge, if you like, of what's gone to make what they've just seen or what they've come to see. Because too often we read uh, stuff that there's a very clear lack of empathy yeah. in all the way through it. And perhaps knowing what it feels like to you know to get up on stage, fall flat on your face, uh, to get up and dust yourself off again and try again, uh, maybe some of that knowledge would temper the way that those things are, are handled. Mm-hmm. And, and reviewers that have never stepped on stage and bombed and get up to try again, um, for my money, just uh, are missing the point. It doesn't quite cut the mustard, eh? Theatre reviewers have to understand the risk and reward of the creating art. For most of us, theatre is an exploration. Even when a production is just really, really, really bad, there, like you've said already, there is always a way to constructively say that the show is bad without minimising the impact or minimising... The potential impact. yeah, Yeah, minimising the potential impact that your review could have on that show. Um, and and like and it, we've mentioned in a professional capacity that could literally mean their livelihoods. Yeah, absolutely true. A uh, woman by the name of Danielle Rosvalli is an actor, a dramaturge, fight director and theatre critic working out of the University of Buffalo. And she develops and teaches a basic principle which she calls the parking lot rule. The parking lot rule dictates that when you're seeing a show, you should obey the same general rules of critique that you might use if you were eating a home-cooked meal as a guest in someone else's house. Uh, while you're in the theatre itself, you should only say positive, glowing things about the production. When you're out in the parking lot, it's a little different. Say whatever you like, yeah. yeah. I really like that because often if I don't like something, I'll leave as soon as I can, poss- possibly can after the performance so that I don't get in a situation where I have to I have to rave about something I didn't enjoy. So mostly it's for selfish reasons. Um, <laughs> but the parking lot is a really good analogy. And it's not to say that you need to fabricate saying glowing positive things about a lackluster production. It's very rare that a show has nothing good about it. Yeah. You know? It does happen, but you're right, it's very, very rare. There are so many parts that go into a finished production, at least one of them will warrant some kind of positive praise. You can find one thing. You can find something to say. One thing. So uh, hold on to the criticism then. Wait till wait till later. Wait till the smoke is cleared a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Danielle Rosvalli uh, teaches that this fulfills several important facets of decorum, obviously, but also abides by good old-fashioned manners. I mean, you would never sit down at somebody's table um, and eat their meal and say, "Oh my gosh, this is awful." No, you're you've overcooked overdone. The, you've yeah. overdone the, yeah, yeah. the cabbage. <laughs> Yes, you've ever done the Not while you're at the dinner table, on the way home, you might say, gosh, I'm never going back there again. That's right. And like you've already touched on, the parking lot rule gives a viewer a space, including a reviewer, audience, anyone, um, space and time to process their critique, both the negative and the positive. Knee-jerk reactions like, I didn't like that, can simmer down as the reviewer teases out what underlying causes lead to their reaction. And additionally, it forces someone to truly think about what's going on before hammering on about what went poorly. Yeah, Um, and this is... uh uh, one thing I struggled with when I was doing reviews for a newspaper, um, gosh, about 30 years ago now. Mm. And often the, the 
pressure was on to get the copy in so that it could be ready for the next morning's paper. Yeah. Which meant you rushed home from a show, started writing, and... Whatever came out. Often you would know as you were writing it, this isn't right, this isn't right. Oh, my gosh, I've only got 15 minutes left to try and knock this into shape. And mm. rereading it the next day, you'd think, oh, that isn't really what I wanted to say. And often, you know, you wish you had that extra time to think about those things. Yeah. I don't think that same pressure exists anymore because, um, as I said before, a lot of uh, reviews these days appear online. They're not as time-sensitive yeah. as, as they and, used to be. Um, how many morning newspapers do we have these days? It's bugger all. Very few. So we're able to think a bit more carefully and, and put more consideration into what we're going to say, as Mel has just suggested. Uh, it can be a really good thing to take that time, driving yeah. home, Put your thoughts in order. Think, do I really want to say that? Yeah. Is that going to be helpful to anyone if they read that? Or helpful in the sense that there may be something they can learn from it? Yeah, well, and that's that kind of hits another nail on another head is that you don't actually have to say everything that you think, you know? Yeah. Defaulting to the positive encourages unpacking nuance. Um, when, we, when I say that, I mean it encourages you to to do what we've just been talking about. Um, if you want, if you should always default to say, wanting to say something positive, it means you are looking for the good things. Yeah, that's not to say you gloss over the bad things, but you are looking for the the good things to highlight, rather than becoming stuck on a rather large, sweeping negative impression you may have of something. Along with your words, you're you're inviting the viewer to instead pull out the threads of, uh, that contribute to the theatrical production as a whole, and um, your your readers, your viewers are asked to see pieces of the puzzle rather than the finished product as just one thing. Yeah, I like that. Um, it is a skill that takes practice, though, and I don't know if I'm yeah. even on it onto it in that regard. For most, especially those with minimal experience unpacking theatre, um, it doesn't come naturally. It also sensitises a theatre reviewer to elements of theatrical production. What specific choice are they reacting to? Which member of the design team made that choice? Who might have adjusted to compensate for the choice or shifted a production element to satisfactorily accommodate it? What might a more effective choice have been? Indeed. In a recent essay uh, discussing the parking lot rule, Danielle Rosvalli says that reviewing theatre is about so much more than looking at a finished product with admiration or disgust. And the parking lot rule can help audiences better understand the cogs in the machine through observing it. I thought that was a really interesting statement. Yeah, I like that. From a big picture perspective, the parking lot rule inspires critical thought, truly the key to good criticism. It's not enough to note that something didn't work. In writing a negative critique of someone's hard artistic labour, they should make that critique the work of careful attentiveness rather than spur of the moment judgment which is what we've just been talking about exactly each artist wants to create something great if you want them to succeed as a reviewer you need to be vigilantly aware of your own thoughts and expectations of art well said and i can say that you know the stuff that i've listened to the most over the years hasn't always been complimentary to me Mm -hmm. it has been the stuff that's made me think yeah that's fair comment yeah and if you if you can read something and say that's fair comment or that is sound judgment then it's well written essentially it's it's just not okay for a reviewer or a critic to dump their negative impressions on a page without digging further into the why while feedback is important, there is feedback that is more useful and then feedback that is absolutely no use. Mm. A well-crafted critique will not only tell the audience what to expect from a piece, but will also tell the theatre makers why the critics saw it the way they did. 
And in turn, understanding the thought that goes into a critique is the first step for us towards uh, identifying when something is a fair piece of critical prose and when something is slapdash or thoughtless and tactless. And obviously rushing against a deadline, like you mentioned. Yeah. Um, I guess in summary, I've re- like you, I've reviewed sporadically, and the best advice I ever read was to see as much theatre as possible, write about everything you see, and really reflect about what you saw in a show. What's not your cup of tea may actually be another, so choose your words carefully. Oh, yeah, well said. Mm. And this this, uh, this is kind of like what we, what we say most weeks, actually. Yeah. See as much as you possibly can. Think about it. Reflect on what you saw in that um, in that piece, whatever it may be. You can't uh, get better if you that, don't engage. Exactly, and let that inform your theatrical life. Yeah. from our musical of the week The Lion King you're backstage with Mel and Mike and it is about that time of week again is it really time for me to dig into one of the most <laughs> famous and highest box office grossing stage musicals of all time is that what you're telling me Mel yes Mike that time exactly take it away I shall then 
The Lion King is a musical based, obviously, on the 1994 Walt Disney Animation Studios feature film of the same name. Music by Elton John, lyrics by Tim Rice, book by Roger Allers and Irene Mechi, along with additional music and lyrics by Lebo M, Mark Mantina, Jay Rifkin, Julie Taymor and Hans Zimmer. Directed by Julie Taymor, the musical features actors in animal costumes, as well as giant hollow puppets. And the show is produced by Disney Theatrical Productions. The show debuted in July of 1997 in Minneapolis, Minnesota, at the Orpheum Theatre, and was very successful there before premiering on Broadway at the New Amsterdam Theatre in October that same year. With their previews, the official opening happened in November. Then in uh, June 2006, the Broadway production moved to the Minskoff Theatre to make way for the musical version of Mary Poppins, where it is technically still running after more than 9,000 performances. It's on hiatus at the moment, of course. But it is now Broadway's third longest-running show in history. In 2014, it had grossed more than one billion US dollars, making it the highest-grossing Broadway production of all time at that time. Ooh, that's heaps. The numbers are absolutely, you know, eye-watering. Over 100 million people worldwide have seen the musical, and it has earned numerous awards and honours, including six Tony Awards, one for Best Musical and Best Direction of a Musical, plus others, making director Julie Taymor the first woman to ever earn such an honour. Cool. Didn't know that. Awesome. Her involvement with the show, because writing extra um, music and lyrics as well, Mm. as taking on direction for it, she uh, invested heavily into the whole thing. Uh, The show opened in the West End's Lyceum Theatre in October of 1999 and is still running after more than 7,500 performances. The cast of the West End production were invited to perform at the Royal Variety Performance in 1999 and again in 2008. Mm. In September 2014, The Lion King became the top-earning title in box office history for both stage productions and films, passing the record previously held by the Phantom of the Opera. So all those things combined mean that, as this is the last bunch of figures I could reliably get my hands on, as of 2017, the Lion King musical worldwide has grossed nearly $8.1 billion US dollars. Holy moly. Go Disney. Yeah. Eh? That's where it's all going, propping up <laughs> Mickey Mouse. As of March the 12th, 2020, the show suspended production due to the COVID-19 pandemic and will resume performances in the United States on September the 14th. And its return to the London Lyceum Theatre is still going to happen. That's announced for July 29th, so it's only weeks away. And in case you've been living under a rock, The Lion King tells the story of Simba, which is Swahili for lion, a young lion who is uh, destined to succeed his father, Mufasa, as King of the Pride Lands. However, after Simba's paternal uncle, Scar, murders Mufasa, Simba is manipulated into thinking he was responsible and he flees into exile. After growing up in the company of the carefree outcasts Timon and Pumbaa, Simba receives valuable perspective from his childhood friend Nala and his shaman Rafiki before returning to challenge Scar to end his tyranny and take his place in the circle of life as the rightful king. A little bit of Hamlet going on there. I was just going to say, did you know there's a little bit of Hamlet there? Yeah. It is based a little bit there, I think. A little bit. The musical incorporates several changes and additions to the storyline as compared to the film. The mandrel Rafiki's gender was changed for the stage to a female role because uh, Julie Taymor believed that there was generally no leading female character in the film, and Rafiki could be. So uh, Rafiki was portrayed by Sidi Leloka, I hope I've got that right, in the original Broadway musical, and Josette Bushel-Mingo in the original London production. 
Several new scenes have been added, including a conversation between Mufasa and Zazu about Mufasa's parenting and a perilous scene in which Timon finds himself nearly drowning in a waterfall while Simba feels powerless to help him. A major narrative addition is the depiction of Nala's departure in the scene The Madness of King Scar, where the mentally deteriorating villain tries to make Nala his his mate. Nala refuses and later announces her intention to depart the Pride Lands and find help. Like its predecessor, The Beauty and the Beast musical, this show adds a bunch more songs into the stage production that weren't in the movie, including Morning Report, sung by Zazu. Great song. Zazu's a hornbill. It later added into the film for the uh, platinum edition of the DVD. By the way, Shadowland, which we're playing today, originally featured on the CD Rhythm of the Pride Lands with Zulu lyrics as Lea Halelela. And it was adapted for the musical with new English lyrics. Uh, it is sung by Nala, the lioness, and Rafiki. Endless Night, also from the rhythm of Pride Lands with Swahili lyrics as Lala, is sung by Simba, while reflecting on Mufasa's promise to always be there. One by One, from the rhythm of the Pride Lands CD, was adapted as the rousing African-styled entract sung by the chorus at the opening of the second act. Many of the animals portrayed in the production are actually actors in costume, using a few extra tools to move their costumes. For example, the giraffes are portrayed by actors walking on stilts. For principal characters such as Mufasa and Scar, the costumes feature mechanical headpieces that can be raised and lowered to foster the illusion of a cat lunging at each other. Other characters such as the hyenas, Zazu, Timon and Pumbaa are portrayed by actors in life-sized puppets or costumes. The Timon character is described by Julie Taymor as one of the hardest roles to master because the movement of the puppet's head and because the movement of the puppet's head and arms puts a strain on the actor's arms, back and neck. So if you're auditioning quite a physical role. <laughs> yeah, don't go for Timon if you're a little bit delicate. If you're fragile, yeah. <laughs> Composer Lebo M led the original Broadway chorus. The chorus members are usually uh, visible on the, in the production actually, rather than being hidden in the shadows, as seen in some other musical shows. A new section of the production of The Lioness Hunt features a particularly complicated dance sequence for the actresses, and their dance is made even more difficult by the large headpieces worn during the scene. They really like to test performers, don't they, sometimes? Well, and that's what I say to any any performer down here in Hamilton. Just make it work, mate. Yeah. Just make it (laughs) work. I don't want to hear your costume complaints. Don't tell me it hurts. During the show's run in China, Chinese elements were included in the musical, as you might expect. One of the songs was adapted to a well-known Chinese pop song, Lao Shu Ai Dami, or My Slove Rice, I should have just stuck with the English name. The cast even cracked jokes and attempted conversations with the audience in the Chinese production. As of June 27th, 2010, nine minutes of the Broadway version were cut out, among them the entire Mourner Report musical number. Oh, no. Yeah. I love that song. The song was also removed from subsequent productions and cast recordings. Oh, man. Yeah. The Lion King has toured the US three times and the UK twice, and as well as America and the UK, it's been staged in Canada, Mexico, Brazil, Germany, the Netherlands, France, Spain, Switzerland, South Africa, Japan. It's been running there since 1998. Wow. Shows no signs of stopping. It's also uh, been produced in South Korea, Taipei, Taiwan, China and Australia. International touring companies have visited places like Singapore, Thailand, Hong Kong, the Philippines and little old New Zealand making it the first time this country has ever received a production of it. And it will also be the first production to return 
performing anywhere in the world. All the others have been closed since March of last year. Apart from the six Tony Awards it has from 1998, The Lion King has picked up eight Drama Desk Awards and a Theatre World Award for that year as well. Then the 1999 London production managed two Olivier Awards for choreography and lighting. With the New Zealand tour underway now, both the US and UK productions reopening before the end of the year. Well, I'm picking that it's going to keep on going and delivering more and more for years to come. You know, I think you might be right about that. Yeah, anyway. That, anyway. once again, is all I have to say about that. That's quite a lot, actually. Yeah. That, um, it's a big it's, show, it? seems it? like I gloss over it a bit because I think, well, just about everybody knows the story. And as you say, Shades of Hamlet going on in there. Yeah. Um, it, it is one of those stories that is about good versus evil, family relationships. You know, it's got everything. And <sighs> just sort of seems to never want to fade. I tried so hard to be moral and not go to the show because of my because moral of the compass. Thing, yeah. yeah, but you know Kate's dying to see it and so she booked tickets and um, we're going tomorrow and you know I'm, I am looking forward to it a little bit. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you when you come back from it. To tell me um, uh, you know what you thought. Yeah, um, I'll talk about it all next week. So we'll get Mel's first review in ages. <laughs> Speaking of reviewing, yeah. in the next show, perhaps. Anyway, that's about all we have time for this time round. Consider this your last reminder for today to please get in touch with Creative Waikato if you were, or your arts project could use their assistance. We always like to see them uh, picking up um, you know, somebody else's idea and running with it. Yep. Also, don't forget to catch Backstage wherever you get your podcasts. We mean we're available through accessmedia.nz, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and a whole bunch of other lower-tier podcasting platforms lower tier you reckon well they're out there (laughs) head over to Instagram and find Backstage Podcast NZ where I will be sharing today's episode plus our musical of the week on our story I have once again been Mel he's been Mike you've been Backstage stay classy theatre nerds we're going to go out today with none other than well you had to have it didn't you you did you had to have this if you're going to talk about The Lion King you have to have the circle of life thank you Elton and we'll see you Ever be seen or to do than 
can ever be done mm, There is far too much to take in here Oh, the fine that can ever be found But the sun rolling high Through the sapphire sky Keeps great and small On the endless round It's a
Use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.